0: Hello, welcome back uh, to Take Orley, coming back after our brief early summer hiatus. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be having a look at paediatric head injuries, so delighted that Colin Gilhooly has joined us once again. Hello, Colin. Hello, glad glad to be here, Jamie. Uh, paediatric, consultant, paediatric consultant, sometimes tweeter, oh, a very occasional tweeter. <laughs> father of a 20-month-old now yeah that's correct yeah (laughs) fantastic Um, so we're going to be uh, talking about head injuries in children this is coming after a recent article in the BMJ from the 25th of May 2019 with Jack and Jill on the front Mm -hmm. talking about uh, head injuries in children Um, so because obviously in adults we've got a very hard and fast, these are the nice guidelines, and if anything, I suppose we're a little bit overzealous with our scanning,
1: but there's a slight different mindset in children, isn't that right? Yeah, I think there's a very different mindset uh, in children. One, uh, head injury in children is an incredibly common presentation, so just in terms of the numbers. Um, trying to scan every child would uh, block up your CT scanner in most people's trust for a long time. And the second, and more important one, is the risk. Uh, of radiation from a CT scan, because we know that in children um, it increases your risk of malignancy in later life, and so it's not a free test or investigation, and so it needs to be treated with the respect it deserves from that point of view. Yeah,
0: so just in this article it says uh, 35,000 children Mm -hmm. in the UK come to an ED with a head injury, and and there's somebody whose friends and family are having toddlers, there's always some bruise going on. they largely minor, around 5% will have a complication. Uh, Approximately 1% have actually
1: a clinically important, so it's a very small... It's uh, very small, uh, isn't it? If you look at the number, 1% have a clinically significant traumatic brain injury. I suppose it comes with being a toddler, they are prone to walking into things and... Yeah, so they're learning how to walk, they're learning how to climb, they're learning how to run. They've got a big head, and they're unsteady on their feet. So when they trip, when they fall, they are more likely to hit their head than anything else. Um, And as well as that, at the varying ages, um, they obviously have a limited ability to tell you about their symptoms, especially Mm -hmm. in the toddler age group. Mm You know, They're not going to tell you that they've got a headache or problems with their vision. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to try and elicit that yourself from your history and examination.
0: And um, that thing you said about uh cancer risk and the article again says a reasonable estimate is that one excess neoplasm may be expected per three to ten thousand head CT examinations in children under ten other studies report excess risk of one cancer for every 1,000 to 5,000 pediatric cranial CTs
1: yeah and it shows you that we're not 100% sure where where that figure lies and Mm -hmm. it's a difficult one with um, so many confounding factors Mm -hmm. Um, but all of the studies tell you that you will increase, on a population basis, the risk yeah. uh, of a child developing cancer. Mm. Okay. And as we see, out of that 35,000, only 350 will have a clinically significant traumatic brain injury. It's important that we try and minimise the number of other children that are exposed to the radiation of a CT mm. scan.
0: Absolutely. So, you, you know, if you're putting
1: them through that risk, you want it to be because there's a very real chance you're going to find something. Like, ev- like everything, Jamie, it's risk-reward, isn't it? You know, mm. what is the risk if I don't do this? Am I so worried that they have something significant, that time delaying the diagnosis is a problem mm-hmm. versus the risk of a potential neoplasm in later life?
0: Yeah. Um, cool. So the article is actually called "Is Cranial CT Unnecessary in Children with a Head Injury and Isolated Vomiting?" Uh, I said vomiting following a head injury in children is common. It says here, 10 to 17% of children will hit their head and have a uh, uh, will vomit after hitting their head. Yeah, um, I certainly remember being, I uh, think at school, crashing heads and vomiting yeah. afterwards. And I think I've come out relatively normal. Insert your joke here. Uh, cool. Uh, so. Let's have a, a then a tr- talk through some some guidelines then because I think we all love a good guideline. I um, said all, um, as with every with these podcasts all information is correct at the time of recording. Um, any guidelines are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trusts. Other trust guidelines may vary. And as ever, all views of the speakers are, so whatever you say, Colin. Uh, so shall we have a chat then about um, the guidelines that you use? What What do you use so when you've got a child coming forward with, with who's hit their head? Yeah, so we obviously
1: have uh, a set of, um, or a system that we've developed over the years, and there's been several iterations of the NICE guideline in children. And as a result of that, we developed what's called the chalice uh um, kind of tool to aid us and it kind of talks through some some symptoms which on their own in isolation are less important but if put together with several minor criteria become significant or a obviously significant in isolation so the obvious one for that is if you think are suspecting non-accidental injury then you should CT their head Okay, so any child under the age of two with concerns about non-accidental injury should have a CT scan of their head and a skeletal survey. That's just national guidance uh, for all those children. But, but you mentioned in our previous we've mentioned non-accidental that previous injury podcast. Yeah. Um, and, but something that we were talking about here with this particular article is vomiting. And so vomiting is one of the minor criteria. So it talks about persistent vomiting. Um, and adding that in to um, three or more discrete episodes of vomiting and have you got any other factors and those kind of factors would be loss of consciousness for more than five minutes abnormal drowsiness especially a gcs of 14 uh, greater than an hour afterwards Uh, the mechanism itself high-speed road traffic accident a fall from greater than three meters or amnesia of longer than five minutes and that can be retrograde or anti-grade so if you have uh, a collection of those symptoms, then that increases your likelihood of having a significant uh, neurological injury as a result of the head injury. Um, and so it's important to kind of be familiar with that guideline and understand it. It's also important to make sure that when you're taking the history and examination, you ask the questions in the right way. Uh, to elicit the right response. So we previously talked about vomiting and how hard it is, Jamie, yeah. to to say discrete episodes and what counts as discrete. Um, and, you know, people always ask, you know, is it, you know, within five minutes, within ten minutes, within fifth, what's discrete? And I think it's whether the child fully recovers and goes away to doing something else and then comes back having vomited again. Yeah, yeah. If the child still looks like they're about to vomit for the next ten minutes, and they've just been lying there very still. Then that's probably still the same episode. Yeah. Cool. Um, and
0: yeah, as we said, so, uh, you, we'd already talked about this, and that that you know, blur yeah. is, is actually one episode of vomiting. Yeah. Although I think most people would go, oh, "I vomited three <laughs> times," and that yeah. seems reasonable. I did. I, like, yeah. you yeah. know, stuff came up three times, but that that would still be one episode of vomiting, and, and yeah, that's good. Cool. Um, so we've you, got these, you only need one of them, mm-hmm. and you, you buy yourself a scan. Yeah. And, and so that's your uh, suspicion of NAI, um, seizure but no history of epilepsy. Yeah. Um, a GCS um, less than 14, or a paediatric GCS of less than 15 if they're under one. Yeah. Um, GCS less than 15 at two hours after the injury, if you're suspecting a skull fracture, depre- an open or depressed skull fracture, Uh, Basal skull fracture, there's a focal neurological deficit, um, or if they're under one, there is a an injury, a bruise, swelling, laceration, whatever, more than five yeah. centimetres on the head. One of those, you buy yourself a scan. Yeah, exactly. But you've already talked about those lesser risk factors. Yeah. You need to accumulate yeah. more than one of those. Okay. Um, but then there's also this idea of observing, which is something we don't really have in adults yeah. uh, so for a variety of reasons.
1: Yes. But, uh, but do you want to talk a bit more about those? So I think in paediatrics, actually, observation is is fundamental to paediatric yeah. practice whether that be for head injuries, yeah. uh, the child who's got uh, gastroenteritis so you want to know if they're going to tolerate in the fluid before you send them home observation is a bedrock and it's a it's part of paediatric practice, it's a huge part and it gives us so much information. Monitoring, observing, repeating observations so it gives you so much more information. Rachel about tricks. in a previous
0: podcast you talked about uh, the child with sepsis and, yeah. and what are they actually doing in the waiting room yeah. and how actually important, and in a Delphi study, how important yeah. um, children's ED clinicians feel that look, if the child is playing well, well, that's very
1: reassuring. Yes. And I think it's exactly that. You know, if you're going to try and do a neurological examination on an 18 old the easiest way is to go and let them play, and watch them and see what they do. Trying to assess their power and their tone and their reflexes is going to be incredibly challenging. Whether it's watching them, see if they can climb onto a chair, sit down, move objects across the midline, all of those things can be done from 10 metres away without any problems. Cool. So it's something we're very keen on, and it's something uh, we have a policy for, Even, and that includes up to admitting children into hospital Mm -hmm. for observation um, for up to 12 hours, just to make sure they kind of pass that kind of uh, window, especially of something like an an extra-dural Mm -hmm. hematoma, where you might have a lucid period as the pressure builds up.
0: Mm -hmm. So it says if um, only uh, one of the risk factors is present observe the child for four hours, Uh, following the injury, if during the observation, any of the following risk factors, so GCS drops, more vomiting, um, or a further episode of abnormal drowsiness, um, then you need to perform a CT within Mm. the hour. Marvellous, good. Um, And just for your own sort of from your day-to-day practice then how often I mean I'd be amazed around in adults if I haven't scanned one head during a course of a normal 10 hour shift it's incredibly especially even, even more if we're around in in, in the walking area where people come in with head injuries you know uh, anticoagulants etc etc I'd be amazed if I haven't scanned at least one person's head how often do you think you do it in myself
1: in um, probably less than once a week Amy. wow <laughs> um. it's Something, as I say, that we, we try not to do. So we see about 130 children a day in total, not head injuries, in total. Uh, and a large portion of our presentations are head injuries. Uh, but I say most of them are minor, as you can see from the presentation. So only 350 out of 35,000 in the UK. Are going to have those have a significant injury. Mm. Now there are going to be more that have similar symptoms on top of that. But mm. actually, if you think in the UK, I mean, if you double that figure to seven hundred, mm. that's seven hundred presentations to the whole of the UK mm. with clinically significant symptoms. And we get about six hundred a day over our whole department. Yeah. So that really puts
0: it into perspective. Yeah, it?
1: exactly. So, um, it not something that often needs to be done, mm. uh, and the use of observation works beautifully well. Mm. Um, mm and most children you know, often will have a sleep, wake up, feel much better, and go home. Mm-hmm. Um, on a day-to-day basis in terms of the department, I'm sure we probably maybe scan maybe one a day, right? maybe slightly less than that, for, a, for an acute head injury mm-hmm. uh, as a department, um, but it isn't, it isn't something that I would say is common practice.
0: Okay, so um, that's really the NICE guidelines, and I think they're, obviously, they're the national guidelines yeah. that, that we adhere to. There are some other guidelines that this article goes through, um, and I will um, put all of these up on the, on the website, Uh There's PECAN, which um, is from America, there's CATCH, which is Canadian, and there's also this thing called CHALICE, which is, yeah. a, which is a lovely name, uh, which stands for the Children's Head Injury Algorithm for the Prediction of Important Clinical Events Rule, apparently
1: yeah so i think you can see that uh, throughout the world people are trying to stratify risk for children uh for two reasons one is so you don't miss uh, a clinically significant head injury yeah two to try and minimize those undergoing a ct scan Mm. and all of these rules have been validated in terms of their sensitivity and specificity Mm. there are slight differences to them and some of them will Uh, be more sensitive but less specific and as as a result you won't miss anything but you'll scan more children yeah and so it's a balance of of that risk Um, so across them um, they've been looked at, reviewed, they've been put side to side the Australians put them side to side to have a look uh, and see how many scans they would do versus not do to how that changed their clinical practice and the outcome of that um, was that actually all the guidelines are good Okay, But the, the Chalice rule now has a sensitivity of 98% and a specificity of 87%, mm. which is pretty good. Uh, as a test, mm. uh, it means that you are unlikely to miss a patient, and that's still scary because it, I use the word unlikely, and you, and you never want to miss one. Absolutely never, yeah. And I think the key thing is that no guideline is going to be foolproof. No, no set of rules is going to be. You need an experienced clinician, if there are concerns, seeing the patient. To understand uh, exactly uh, what might be happening mm. and when mm. when they don't mean the guidelines but you think they need to be scanned versus mm. when maybe they do but actually mm. the child's running around the playground and you say no <laughs>
0: um,
1: so um, I mean just
0: to, to sort of have a, a, a yeah. little bit about the chalice score. Uh, CT scan is required if any of the following criteria are present. So um, you just need one of these. Then is that you just
1: need one of these? So there, we you know we've got loss of consciousness for greater than five minutes, which we just said from the he- nice head injury guideline mm. is kind of a minor criteria. You, you have need to have that more and something else. Yeah. Uh, whereas here, you know that immediately gets you a scan. So you can see how it's going to be more sensitive. Yeah. Um, because it's but it's going to result. It's in got more. a lower bar.
0: Here, yeah. You know absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you want to? T- Go through some yeah, of so the uh, other
1: things are you know amnesia more than five minutes, drowsiness, um, three or more s- discrete episodes, suspicion of non accidental injury, which goes through and is still in the other guideline, and a seizure after head injury uh, with no history so you can see that actually when this rule was developed, this was probably earlier on, and what 's happened with m- moving forward with iterations is that some of these things we 've realized when you go back and you review them that actually Maybe we were scanning for children, and rather than just have one, now mm. we say, Well, if you have two, mm. that actually that's still completely acceptable and yeah. we will still pick up the vast majority of patients you need. And so, um, the Chalice kind of came out of an earlier version of the cup of the, of, and was included in NICE guidelines in earlier versions for head injuries sure. and has slowly been um, adapted into what we've got in the NICE guidelines currently. Sure. Okay. okay, so you can see how it's kind of based through. Cool. Um,
0: so, I mean, th- there's all these different guidelines, and um, as I said, we'll, we'll link them up on the, the website. You're a ED consultant, you know, you've, you're have you sort of supervising the whole department, you notice that your junior's gone and taken a history from a patient who's been booked in with a head injury. Yep. That's, that junior doctor, that med student is now yep. coming to you going, Hi, Dr. Gilhooley, could I talk to you about this patient? You know. what do you think about doing a CT, yes or no? So, what are the key bits from the history that you want that person to take, if they're taking a head injury history from a child?
1: So, so I think what you you need to know is a really good history of the event. Mm. So, um, you know, I've fallen off my bike and hit my head uh, when I was playing with my friends, and he's now come with his parents, and so his friends are no longer there, his parents didn't witness it, so what you're relying on is this child's memory of the event. And you might just fallen off bike, mama bang. Well, how did he fall off his bike? You know. So um, I had a a case when I was just an SHO where it was fallen off a bike, uh, wearing a helmet, um, got up, friends took him back home. Now doesn't sound like very much, but actually what he did was he was cycling down a hill and there were concrete bollards uh, in the in the path he was on, and he's fallen off and the side of his head has impacted onto the concrete bollard, which his helmet may or may not have protected him from. Mm-hmm. He's then been unconscious for three or four minutes before mm-hmm. he started to come around, and then his friends come back. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he could tell me anything in his history is because that's what his friends had told him had happened, because he couldn't remember it. And so you've got to know you're asking the right questions. Just because the patient's telling you the history yeah. doesn't mean that they remember it. And so sure. actually asking that in isolation is really important. And so this child went from very low risk, in terms of his mechanism, to a slightly higher risk, um, just on taking a real clear history of the events Mm -hmm. and asking specifically about these things, about amnesia, about a seizure at the scene, about vomiting. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're not sure, find someone who was there, call them, get a coherent history. It's actually really important Mm -hmm. if there are any concerns. and then, after that, it's about um, making sure that you've gone from then right through to where he is now, and assess that memory. So what did sure. you do afterwards? What did you do afterwards? Sure. What did you do afterwards? Very open questions that allow the child the chance to, to give you the history. And then, ask the parents how he is now. Do the parents think he's back to his normal self, okay? They, they um, so, paediatricians working in the emergency department are, should be experts at looking after children. Um, but they are next, not experts on an individual child, their parents are. And so really important to get that parental yeah. understanding of where they feel their child is. Cool. And then examination. We talked about it before. Children yeah. of different ages can do different things. So yeah. You just need to be aware of what they are and um, be able to assess them. Play is a key one. Engage them in play. You know, get them calm, relaxed. You're going to find it hard to examine a screaming child. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a headache. He's and got, got headaches. So stickers, it, yeah. bubbles, toys, yeah. whatever it might be, get yeah. them engaged and then cool. assess their neurology doing that. Cool. Um, and so you,
0: it's about I suppose you, you you made this point when we talked about NAI as well, visualizing it. So you, you sort of said, can I see how this injury mm. happened? Yeah, you know could I see this child doing it and then this happening so I suppose it's that same thing as well absolutely Going through, can I see this child was on a scooter was on a bike was on this that trampoline whatever and can I see that that is what has happened yeah and that's how
1: you know if you've asked enough questions yeah Yeah. because if you can't envisage yeah. how the injury happened then yeah, you're yeah. missing detail somewhere yeah. so you need to ask those questions until you can picture exactly what the child did sure I suppose
0: as well as this as well um Making sure there isn't another injury, so you know the handlebar injury to the stomach, or, yeah, or sorry, abdomen, let's be precise, and um, uh, or you know a medical reason for a collapse, for yeah, example, yeah,
1: definitely. So it's really, so it's it's rare, but it's out there, okay. Uh, and picking those children up, sure, uh, is key, sure. Um, so I mean,
0: we've, shall we should start wrapping up. We've yeah. already talked then about when we're going to scan, and that's going to give us our answer one yeah. way or the other, isn't it? what if we're not scanning so i mean as we've we've said most people aren't most children aren't going to get scanned yeah what advice are you going to give the parents what uh and what sort of concussion advice are you going to give as well that's also
1: important so so what 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 bundle are you giving the the, the parents on discharge so i think we have a head injury leaflet that, that we give out to To all our families who come with a head injury, that goes through a lot of the the kind of signs and symptoms that we've been talking about that are on the NICE guidelines. And they're all written there, you know, if he has abnormal drowsiness, if he has a seizure, you know, if he has problems with his balance, his coordination. But the thing that I always, always say to them is that you know your child better than anyone. If you are worried or concerned, then you just need to bring him back. Okay? Um, Because I'd rather see them before he had a seizure and abnormal drowsiness mm. than because mum and dad were worried about it, just didn't quite seem like his normal mm. self, mm. Than, um, than wait for those quite late signs to actually uh, yeah. see the child again. Come in with that earlier stage. Yeah.
0: So obviously, we're recording this in summer, it's July, um, nearly the school holidays. Let's say it's autumn, you've got a, a child of school age, you, you've giving them this advice you know if you uh, are worried come back but then either the child or the parents go well, well, school tomorrow or they've got homework to do or what about um, playing Fortnite or whatever on, on their iPad or Absolutely. Whatever. What,
1: what, what's what do we say then so I think concussion something that you know we've become increasingly aware of over the last uh, deco, slightly longer, but it, and no. it's something we we'll probably still lag behind it in terms of in paediatrics, but it's coming through now quite strongly, and you know, if that child has had a prolonged period where he's been vomiting, a bit lethargic and sleepy, then he's probably got concussion. Yeah. And so it's really important to give good, strong advice and for them to understand what that is. And the best way to get over concussion is brain rest, and that's complete brain rest, okay? So that is doing nothing, that's no screaming. No phones, no television, books. no video games, no books. The yeah. eyes need to rest because anytime you do something <laughs> with the eyes, Sounds the fun. brain is is stimulated. Yeah. and so you're trying to give them a period of, you know, uh, again, it's still stimulation. Gosh, in those boring! <laughs> yes, it really is. But what you are trying to do is get them to recover back to the normal selves as quickly yeah. as possible. Yeah. And you know, getting them through those stages of complete rest to up and normal activity to back to school yeah. is actually a, a slow process that maybe takes one to two days, or sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, warning them that you know some children may have symptoms for you know weeks afterwards of increased tiredness, especially yeah. at the end of school days, mm. headaches that come on. We're quite lucky in. Nottingham actually we've got um, something called Brill and Brill is the brain related injury uh, service for children uh, and they look after all traumatic brain injuries in children and rehab them and rehab them early in hospital so we're talking about the really severe traumatic brain injuries but as part of that um, there's people doing work and every child who gets a CT scan Uh, for a head injury in this uh, department is automatically followed up by them with a questionnaire uh, to kind of look into that concussion Mm. and make sure they're being followed up to see if they're having any Mm. any problems Mm. and that's a great service to be able to to interact with. Now you might say but what about the children who you don't scan because they don't quite meet criteria but still probably have those signs and symptoms so they can be referred to that service to kind of be have a a period of follow-up and it's worked quite nicely so far Cool. because I know a, a lot on, on the adult side and we've
0: got the megabit trial mm. starting yeah. um, and uh, is this idea of well your CT is normal but actually what's happening at the axonal level yeah. what's actually happening to your neurons mm. is still something that we're we're still finding out and, and you know if you look in the data concussion can be months yes you know years yeah. potentially um, speaking to somebody who's had concussion, yep. it's not a particularly nice experience. Um, cool. And I spoke, um, just then to add a question to that, what if they're a um, footballer, rugby player, something like
1: that? What about is do we what do we say about contact sports if they've had so, a head injury? Yeah, so we'd say, you know, <laughs> very similar to the adult advice on contact sports, which is that you need to avoid them and kids don't like it. they probably like it less than adults.: Yeah, um, but you need to stay away. You know I think now there is a good body of evidence that mm-hmm. um, repeated concussions, yeah. is significantly uh, impacts uh, your brain function and performance yeah. in later life. And mm-hmm. so actually, you know, keeping away from contact sports for six weeks, yeah. if you've had a concussion is just sensible advice, yeah. okay. And being very clear with parents that that's what you're telling them. I think if if they play for a... um, I'm not sure about school
0: teams, but I know that clubs will invariably have very strict rules, especially in
1: rugby. So as as you said, you need to be... Well, you know, at least a month yeah. or so yeah. fine before you play again. And I think we're seeing a lot of good tools coming out of rugby. You can see the concussion head injury assessments that they do in professional rugby. And, you know, there are paediatric versions of those scoring systems which aren't perfect, and they have their limitations, yeah. um, but are still useful um, to be able to show what a child's brain function is like. Cool.
0: Um, I'm just Googling because I remember this. so. Um, this is a fact I like to give my patients as well, whenever, because everyone always thinks, oh, concussion's nothing, isn't it? Um, in the, do you remember the 2014 World Cup mm-hmm. in Brazil? Yeah. So this is my favorite fact about concussion. Um, I, I never remember his name, so i have had to just look it up now. Um, Christoph Kramer for Germany mm-hmm. collided heads with uh, Ezekiel uh, Garay of Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, continued playing on for 14 minutes uh, and asked the referee, is this the World Cup final? He, he has 14 minutes of his life, the best game ever of his career, they won, uh, but he had to be subbed off and he has no recollection for 14 minutes. Running around, doing stuff, yes. no recollection playing the World Cup final. Um, I, I like to
1: say that to patients, and they're like, what? And I'm like, okay. yeah, that's that's concussion. That's it's not this little... Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's serious, and multiple concussions are very serious. Cool.
0: And as a, a, I suppose we're living longer, I and mean, mm-hmm. we talked about this with lifetime risk of cancer. Yes. We're living longer and longer and longer. Children today could easily expect to live for another eight, nine decades. Yeah. You know, and so what is going on in that of their formative years, we it's probably don't know still exactly. what will happen later on. Exactly. Cool. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you. I think that's head injury pretty much sorted. Thank Lovely. you. Lovely. Um, pleasure. So the blog entry for this podcast will be on uh, takeorally.com as well as links to all those guidelines we've mentioned. And you can find Take on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, everywhere you consume your podcasts.
1: Uh, and remember you can find NUH Dream on both um,
0: Facebook and Twitter. Thank you very much.